All right, all right. I don't know. I felt like, <laughs> felt like changing my personality for just a, a brief second. Sorry about that. I got excited. You got me excited. For those of you who don't know, um, I'm the founder and director of Do For One NYC. It's one of the organizations that we're supporting through Extending Hope. Um, we serve people with disabilities, um, primarily adults with disabilities, people who have graduated from, from school or from special programs. Um, so I just want to take a moment to thank you for your support. It's a, it's a mission field. Um, you don't have to travel overseas to talk to people who've never heard the gospel before. It's estimated that um, 5 to 10% of the world's disabled population are ineffectively reached uh, with the gospel, 5 to, five to 10%. And it's estimated that there's around a billion people worldwide with disabilities. And think about this for a second, the disparity between that number, think about Jesus' ministry. Over half, well over half of the times where he healed somebody was interacting with somebody with a disability. In Luke 14, uh, it's one of these scriptures that, 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 that's a foundation of our ministry as he walks into a prominent religious leader's house for a meal and he sees how everybody's trying to be really important, you know? Um, the equivalent for us today would be trying to, to cl climb the upward ladder, ladder of success, whether it be wealth or power or popularity. And he sees this dynamic and he says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And then he goes on and he says, whenever you give a lunch or a dinner, invite the lame, the blind, the poor. Don't invite your rich neighbors. And yet, 5 to 10% of the world's disabled population are reached with the gospel. My wife and I joined this church a couple months after it had started. And it was also around the time when the Lord had put it on my heart to start a ministry serving the disabled. And so Hope Astoria and Do For One have very much journeyed together and grown together. And it's been such a tremendous privilege to, to have a relationship with a church that's, that's like an anchor for us. I call it, I call it like our Do For One's spiritual home. Um, churches are so ill-prepared to welcome people with disabilities that actually when Do For One started, I did not want it to be a disability ministry within a church. I wanted it to be a ministry where we go in people's homes and we simply become friends with them and their families and build trust. Um, but I'm proud to say that Hope Astoria is becoming more and more a church that is welcoming and is inclusive of people with all kinds of disabilities. It's a tremendous witness to the church and the city that we're a, a church where people can send their children and they can feel confident that they'll feel loved and welcomed. So thank you for that. Um, as well. Uh, I couldn't be more, more grateful to be a part of Hope Astoria. So are you ready for a sermon today? <laughs> a preface to say, I realized halfway through the sermon um, in the first service that this is, this is kind of a unique, uh, a unique message, something that we don't talk enough about in the church. So I just want to sort of state that now, and if you get mad at me later, you can say I warned you. Um, Anyone know who Isaac Watts is? Isaac Watts, does that name ring a bell? He's a well-known hymn writer in church history. You might recognize the song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, or Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. What he's most well-known for, though, is a well-known Christmas hymn called 
I'm just saying it slowly in case somebody wants to finish my sentence. <laughs> Joy to the world. Joy to the world. It's based on Psalm 98. Um, this hymn rings true all throughout the church, and it's stood the test of time, and it's one of, you know, one of those, like, best hymns of Christmas time. You hear it everywhere. We sing it in church and so on. Um, as a worship leader, it's important for, for me and for all of us uh, to think about what we're singing and, and, and think about what it is that we're leading other people to sing, uh, to sing along with us. So let's take a look at some of the words of Joy to the World. It starts like this. Might be familiar. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let earth receive her king. Hmm. When I think about the story of the birth of Christ, what comes to my mind, tell me if I'm wrong, is there's no room at the end for Mary to give birth. Let earth receive her king. Uh, he's born in a stable. King Herod is angry and comes after him, tries to murder him. Let earth receive her king. Let's try the next stanza. No more let sin nor sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. But you don't have to look very far in our own lives, in our families' lives, or all throughout the city to recognize that there seems to be a curse. There's sin everywhere to be found. There are sorrow and there is suffering. So what are we singing about? He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. But again, when we look at the news, I don't know about you, but what I see are wars and violence and hate of all kinds, even the threat of nuclear war. If it were true that he rules the world and he's making the nations prove the glories and wonders of his love, then wouldn't you think that wars would cease? So we sing of peace and we sing of joy and we sing of justice at Christmas time. But I think if we're honest, we should be asking the question where is it? For many generations, God's people waited and waited and waited for the promised Messiah to bring salvation and to bring justice. Time and time again, they would anticipate this great day of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Chris started this Advent series by stating it clearly and plainly that Jesus, the Messiah, the one to bring salvation, has already come. The gift has already arrived, and he's ours to take hold of today. Salvation has come and it's here right now for those who believe. We can possess salvation right now. But our faith presents before us a paradox. Without looking closely, it would be easy to interpret the story of the coming of the Messiah and his work of salvation is to have happened all in one stage. But God's redemption plan for the world actually unfolds in two stages. Stage one, Jesus comes as a child. Stage two, Jesus returns as a king. We live in between these two stages. He's already come, and now we wait for his return. And so when we sing joy to the world, we're actually singing about a future reality of what will one day happen when Jesus returns as a king. 
So we're filled with hope, eternal hope, as we sing, joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. But what we're actually singing about is we're singing about a future reality right now. We're living in between the two stages. It will one day come in its fullness, but not yet. He will come to make his blessings flow. Don't you long for a day when there's nothing but blessings? He's come already to lay the groundwork and to justify us by laying down his life, by showing us how to live, by raising to life, but he will return to rule the world with truth and grace. And I think there's a reason why you and I have this deep inclination to respond to despair and sorrow and suffering by saying, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's going through something, isn't it a temptation of ours to say, it's okay, it's okay, everything's gonna be all right. Isn't that what we wanna say? We wanna say, hey, just hang in there, it's gonna get better. But also, if we're honest, there's times when we see people's situations or we see our own circumstances, and deep down we doubt that things are actually gonna get better. We doubt that things are gonna be okay. And Jesus says, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so we ask the question, will it get better? So we groan as we wait. Because sometimes things are looking up in life, and sometimes things are very hard. What we do during Advent is we remember that we're in between the times. We're living in the end times. And we wait, we anticipate the second coming of Christ when he will come to make all the things that went wrong right. There's a sense in which when Jesus returns as king, he's the one who can say, it's okay, everything's going to be all right. It's not superficial to say, it's okay, everything's going to be all right. Maybe not right now, maybe not in the immediate future, but one day it will be okay. So we can have hope. We can always have hope. A few months ago, I was having a conversation with some colleagues about what heaven will be like. Have you ever had a conversation like that with your friends or anybody? It always seems like this conversation happens late at night, you know? <laughs> Everything's done, the dessert's put away. It's like, hey, what do you think heaven's gonna be like? <laughs> Grabbing your coat, you're almost out the door. Oh, okay. <laughs> will there be work in heaven? My mom says, yeah. My mom's here, by the way. Yeah. She thinks there will be work in heaven. Uh, Pastor Chris, do you think we're not? <laughs> we could go around. That would take a while. Um, will there be, or will there just be singing in heaven? Will we all just be worshiping the glories of his love all the time? You know, there's these debates, right? What will it be like? We just sang the song, um, all the saints and angels bow before his throne. You know, we read about that in scripture. We know a little bit about what heaven was, it will be like, but we know very little, right? One thing we know is that we'll be healed fully, we'll be restored fully. There will be no more sickness, no more pain. But what do you think heaven will be like? Do you ever stop and just think about that? There's a first advent, it's already happened, birth of Christ cross, the death, the resurrection. There's the second advent, the return of the king. One day we will finally be united with our Lord. No more sorrow. 
Do you ever stop to just think about what that will be like one day? Advent is a special time in the church calendar where we ought to stop and think about what that will be like. So with that, let me read the scripture. Romans 8, 16 through 30 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we, even as we sit in silence, it's appropriate to contemplate what does it mean to live in the in-between times? You've come already, and you're coming again. And here we are, right in between those two. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you read these passages, it seems like Paul contradicts himself so let me read a couple of, of those verses again. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's Romans 8, 16. So that's present tense, right? And that's probably more often how we talk about our faith, right? Is that those who confess um, that the Lord is their Savior and that they're a follower of Jesus, we say we are right now God's children, right? That's what we say. And that's what the scripture says, so that's, there's, that's true. And we need those reminders. But what fascinates me is something that I think is important for us to also grapple with, and it comes up in Romans 8, 22 through 25. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. So we just read that we are God's children, and then he turns around and says that we eagerly wait for adoption. What does that mean? So adoption to sonship, but also, and the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So basically in these verses, we see both something that has already taken place, but there's something that will take place. So, what has already happened? 
what will happen, and how should we live today in light of these in-between times. The Bible often refers to, um, thank you, let's take a break. There's no smooth way to, of doing that. The Bible. <laughs> the Bible refers to this phrase, the day of the Lord, and it means different things at different times in Scripture, but it always is consistently meaning uh, that there's a divine intervention of some kind that God's people needs all throughout Scripture. So, I'm just gonna fast forward through some of those parts that have already happened just so we can gain perspective of where we are in the timeline of, of God's history. The creation of the world, right? We wouldn't be here if God didn't create the world and us, but then there was the fall, and then there was Noah and the flood, then there was the promise made to Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, and so then we hear about Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, and then Joseph, and then we learn about the exile in Egypt and the deliverance of God's people through Moses. Moses gets just on the cusp of the promised land that he was leading God's people to, doesn't make it. Joshua takes over and leads the way into the promised land. And I know I'm skipping a lot here, but then we get to the prophets, the, the book of the prophets in, in the scriptures. And then we hear Isaiah say this in chapter 40. Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received for the Lord, uh, from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says this while God's people are in exile. Things are not going well for God's people, but Israel says, comfort my people. What is he talking about? Similar to the way we can sing joy to the world right now and say, what is Isaac Watts talking about? Speaking of a future hope. During Advent, we remember that God's people had waited many generations for the promised Messiah. As Christians, we believe that he has come. The prophecies of old have been fulfilled. And so we, what we believe has happened through Jesus is that he came to earth as a child. You know, he showed us a way of living that you and I could never live up to, but it's a way to follow. He lived a life that we could have never lived he, he became a, a, a perfect sacrificial lamb on our behalf. When we fall short of the, of the glory of God, death is the punishment. He died a death that you and I should have died. He rose again from death to life and ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, it's not only a glorious uh, a, a redeeming work to see someone conquer death, but what that conquering of death means is that you and I no longer have to fear death because one day our bodies will be resurrected. So that has happened. God has displayed his work through that. Today, the gift of the coming Messiah is ours already, right? He's risen. 
But what has not happened yet is the resurrection of our bodies, the resurrection of the dead. That's something that we're still waiting for. Again, it's not something we talk about very often, is it? So the way God sees time, think about this for a second. This is one of those after midnight things to say. (laughs) The way God sees time, he sees the creation of the world and the return of the king kind of all at once. It's all happening all at once. For us, it's this long, painful process, and we join God's people in this long history of come, Lord Jesus. But as far as God is concerned, like a thousand days is a day, you know? And, and so, so he's not experiencing things the way that we're experiencing them. He's, he's, he's not worried, right? He's got it all under control as far as he's concerned. He sees the victory, right now, but we don't. So we live in faith. Salvation is ours already, but not yet. You see that? That's that's the time that we're living in. Here's another way to put it. I'll bring it down to earth. I propose to my wife, Allie, who's right over there. Yeah. (laughs) Um... I proposed to her in May 2013. We got married in November 2013. So God bless her. She's somebody who loves wedding planning, loved, loved, like was so excited about the ceremony and all of those things, but God bless her. We only had five months of engagement, which is, it's kind of, for some people would say that's a short period of time for an engagement, especially if you want to really put a lot of effort into making something. And we did have a beautiful ceremony. It was wonderful. Um, but you know, you know what was not so wonderful? <laughs> what was not so wonderful was those five long months of waiting for that wedding day. To be honest, I don't really care about parties and all that. I just wanted to marry the girl. Right? And what was worse is that in July of 2013, my apartment lease in Astoria ended. I was living just a couple blocks from here. So I had to move... Um, and I planned to move into Allie's place once we were married, but I had a few months where I was basically homeless, so I had to figure something out. I ended up living in a basement of somebody's house, and I don't know if you've ever been in these kind of basements that are just sort of wet. (laughs) Just wet. Everything's wet. My futon was wet. Yeah. I shared the basement with somebody else, so that they had the private, the private bedroom, and I was sleeping out in the open, you know, and he would wake up at 5 a.m., coming, bursting in, and that would be my alarm clock, basically. Half kitchen, so I was surviving on ramen noodles and cereal and stuff like that, you know. I know. Aren't you? You're so... <laughs> you guys are so sweet. Um... I saved a lot of money, (laughs) so don't feel too bad. But I was miserable. I was waiting. I was waiting. And I thought, gee, now I know how the Israelites must have felt in exile. (laughs) During Christmas time, we remember that Jesus came to dwell among us. He came to live with us, to be with us. And there's a sense in which he came to propose to his bride. 
you and me. Those who believe in him, those who call on his name, those who choose to follow, follow him, put, or he puts a ring on our finger. He's promising us that he's gonna return and now we wait for the big day, for the big wedding feast, when he comes back to return for his bride. In Revelation, we read of that future hope. In chapter 19, verse 7, if you're interested in looking it up, it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You and I are living, so to speak, in those five months between the engagement and the wedding day. That's what, a little bit of what the in-between times are like. You know what helped me get through those five grueling months? Any guesses? It was, it was, that, uh, it was the anticipation of the wedding day when I finally get to marry my wife. That's what got me through that wet futon. Everything was wet. <laughs> After having five, like eight, nine, ten guy roommates in Brooklyn and all over the city trying to survive, you know, I was ready to have a beautiful wife for a roommate forever. Can anyone relate to this? <laughs> right? But it's the anticipation of what's to come that got me through those times. So in the same way, whatever you're going through today, anticipate the great day of the Lord when he will return as a king and he will reunite with his bride. You and I can get through all sorts of things with that in mind, Can, can we not? What also got me through those five months were the date nights, the phone calls, and the anticipation that we had for that great day. So we would have those phone calls and we would have date nights and we would get together and we would say, hey, isn't it gonna be great when we're married? Isn't it gonna be great? We can do this and we can do that, right? So in a similar way, and Revelation refers to this as bride has made herself ready. How can we stay ready? Similarly, you and I can have a taste of heaven now through our relationship with Jesus. Through prayer, through fellowship, with other believers, through reading the scriptures, through worship, through living out our temporary purpose here on earth, whatever that might be. Those are the ways in which that we can do well in our engagement. So it's like being engaged, right? Living in the in-between times, if we understand it, will help us to not grow weary, but we will rise to every occasion in faith, knowing that in the end, we win. We win. Knowing that God has given us a guaranteed future. And what is that future? It's union with Christ, an immortal body. Can you imagine that? We will one day be given a body that will never die. I know of a few people who are in our church community who are battling cancer right now. When we ask God for healing, and we do ask you, Lord, for healing, we are in essence asking God to give us a little taste of heaven Give us just a little taste of heaven now, Lord, so that we can have a better idea of what's to come in full when you return. I know others long to have children, but for 
variety of reasons, it's difficult. When we ask the Lord to to intervene in those situations and to provide for us, we're asking, yes, provide for us now, but also give us a taste of what's to come now. It's equivalent to Allie and I saying, hey, isn't it going to be great? One day we're finally going to be together. This great hope and anticipation gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. The gift is guaranteed. It's ours if we believe. We have it already, but not yet. What's five months, right? And of course, I mean that figuratively, but in light of eternity, 100 years is like a day. 5,000 years is like five months. So what do we have to look forward to? Romans says we wait eagerly. But what are we waiting for eagerly? We know Jesus was born in a humble stable in Bethlehem. As for the second coming, we read that he will be coming on the clouds with great power and glory. What's interesting is that the doctrines of of Jesus' return has always been central to church history. And you especially see that in early church, in the early church. When they were being persecuted for their faith, they didn't even fear death because at the forefront of their mind, they had this great anticipation that the Lord would come back and raise their bodies back to life again. Go ahead and kill me. I'm not going to deny my Lord, they would say. Because at the forefront of their minds, they were thinking, I mean, what's the big deal? I die, but I'm going to be raised up again just like my, my Lord. Fearless. But somehow we don't seem to care about this return anymore. Why is it that we don't talk about this anymore? I don't, I don't know, frankly. But here are a couple of thoughts. In the 70s and 80s, the end times was a really big topic amongst the evangelical church. And then that culminated into the 90s. Some say the last great decade. Uh, (laughs) That's a different topic, sorry. Um, (laughs) But the end times stuff that the evangelical church talked about in the 70s and 80s kind of culminated into the 90s and it got weird and spooky. And it became sensationalized in some ways. There were books and TV series and movies and stuff like that that came out that were sort of dramatizations of what it might be like. Frankly, we know very little about what it's going to be like. Um, Also, there's been all sorts of false prophets that have claimed to know the date of the coming of the Lord, right? And then awkwardly, those dates will come, and we're kind of like, what do they say, by the way, when that... be very curious to know. What do they say when those dates come to pass? Anyway. So there are lots and lots of ways to interpret the end times. Some versions fill us with great excitement. Some fill us with great hope. Others with great fear. But these days, we just don't talk about it. And yet, the return of the Lord is the main event. It's the climax. It's when victory will finally be ours. So there are lots of interpretations. Across denominations, one of the non-negotiables, however, is this, and we read about it in Romans. Um, Romans says, as we eagerly wait for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. There's this, the way that we experience this paradox in our faith is that when we, when we come to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives 
begins to transform us from our innermost being. But the struggle is that we still live in these bodies, right? These mortal bodies that have experienced all sorts of trauma and pain, sickness, fatigue, and so on and so forth, right? And a lot of us feel the effects of that just from the pandemic itself, let alone everything else. I don't know if you're familiar with Pete Scazzaro and the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, but one of the things he says that's related to this is he says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. <laughs> and the expression rings true for many of us because for those of us who follow Jesus, recognize that although we somewhat grasp that we're new creations in Christ right now, spiritually anyway, we've died to our mortal bodies and we've been raised to new life in Christ right now. We know this and we believe this. We read this in scripture. But the brokenness of our mortal bodies are still the bodies that we carry right now. And so we feel the, the tension between our new life and the body of death that we now are carrying, right? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 4 through 5. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So Pete Scazzaro makes a good point when he says, you got Jesus, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. But one thing I notice is people often quote that phrase, but actually, if you read the full phrase, you realize that that's just the setup to the main point that he's making. This is the full statement. He says, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. And the task of and the task of Christian discipleship is to get Jesus more and more into your bones. So it's not to just give up and say, well, Grandpa lives in my bones. <laughs> but it's to say, no, I'm a new creation in Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to put more and more of Jesus deeper into me, deeper into me, deeper into me, to where the mortal part of our, our lives become more unfamiliar and the spiritual part of our lives becomes what we exercise each and every day. Around the holidays, we can feel the brokenness of the bodies that we're currently living in in the way that depression can sneak in around the times when we should be feeling joy. Maybe it's because we miss the days of old when things were simpler and there's a longing for the past, feeling, oh, I remember when Christmas was this way and I wish it was that way still. Maybe that's the longing that you have. Or maybe it's a longing of things that you've always wanted and you still don't have it, and the holidays remind you of that. You know, it's like, oh, I'm still not married, or I, oh, I long for this and I long for that, and the holidays remind me of that. But the task of the Christian is to put more of the resurrected Jesus into our bones so that we're reminded of that great future hope that we will one day receive a brand new body and none of that stuff will be relevant anymore fully be released from all of that. Now we groan. It's true. Scripture says it. We experience it. But one day we will be set free. So it's important, right, to, 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 to keep our minds on the return of Christ and what will one day be so that when we are groaning and that when we, when we do feel depression and when we do feel weak and sorrow, we can say, oh, but one day it's going to get better. And when we say that to ourselves, it'll give us endurance for the moment. So what should we do? How should we live? As I close, Romans 8, verse 26 and 27 says this, 
In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So here we see the tension, stage one, stage two, here's us right in the middle. Holy Spirit is here to help. The Holy Spirit's job is to help us deal with suffering and the groaning. It's to deal with the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our bodies. That's what we're being told. Eventually, he's gonna deal with it completely, but he doesn't leave us on, us, on our own for now. He's with us through the Spirit. He's with us in our groanings. The Holy Spirit is not like the air that we breathe, right? Like, it's not oxygen. The Holy Spirit is not a scented, you know, like, a, like the potpourri that we, that we, you know, spray and smell flowers or whatever, you know. It's not, that's not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not a ghost, right? Some, some Bible translations refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, and so subconsciously we might think it's sort of like this transparent being that's kind of lurking around or something like that, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is, is one with Christ and one with God. He is God. The Holy Spirit is here right now at work in our lives. When we say God did this for me or Jesus, I felt Jesus' presence today or, or, or we have this time of worship when we say, wow, I could really just sense the Lord here. What we really mean to say is the Holy Spirit was here. Jesus died, resurrected, ascended into heaven. That's where Jesus is. How we know that and how we become to believe that is actually the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. You know, Jesus told his disciples that I will send you the advocate, meaning the Holy Spirit, to be with you while I'm gone. So the disciples were worried about what's gonna, what it's going to be like when our, 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 our Lord leaves, right? And he says the Holy Spirit will be with you. So how do we find help during these times, these in-between times? One, one analogy that might be helpful is any mother would know that there is typically a phase in your child's life where you are the only person that exists in the whole world. And that must be a really good feeling. Until you want to go out. Right? Your child kicks and screams and will not let mommy go. Try to get a babysitter and all of that, but they won't stop crying. They're not having it. Psychologists call this separation anxiety. There's no perfect solution to this. And I know that you're all trusting me with mothering advice right now. Um, so let me bring it to you. I have access to the internet, okay? And I looked some stuff up. Mothers suggest online a number of things, but one of the, one of the things they suggest is leaving your child with a transition object when you go out. So that could be like their favorite stuffed animal, or it could be their favorite blanket or something like that, you know? And maybe the blanket has the scent of their mom on the blanket, so that provides them a sense of comfort, right? The truth is that mothers are limited in what they can do when they need to separate from their child. A transition object doesn't even come close to what we have in the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the living God dwelling among us, 
But what's similar is that the Holy Spirit is here as our comforter, as our advocate, as we transition from this life into the next. As we wait for his return, the Holy Spirit is with us. A mother likely wishes that they could be two places at once during, those, during that stage. God can be two places at once, and he's here with us in the Holy Spirit. He's both on the throne in heaven, totally in control. He's also here with us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is saying to us today, and I hope that you can know this, believe this, it's okay. I'm here. You can't see me now, but one day you will. I'm coming. I'm coming for you. Just give me five months. The Holy Spirit is how we know that the gift, the hope we already have in Christ's resurrection, we know that this is a guarantee of our future gift, our resurrection. As we close, the worship team can come forward. What we can possess now, what we can experience now, is the power of the resurrected Christ by the Spirit in our lives. Is there in your bodies, mortal bodies that we currently have, are you struggling with addiction? Are you battling cancer? Do you wish you could become pregnant but cannot? Are you depressed? Are you weary? Are you fatigued? My prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would meet you in those places, that the Holy Spirit would restore you in those places and give you a taste of what's to come. That we can have these date nights with Jesus as we await, as we, as we endure the engagement process and await the big wedding day. May he give you a taste of heaven now. So with a posture of expectation and, and focus now, can we, can we just bend our hearts and our minds to the Lord? Chris will lead us in a time of communion in just a moment. Are you in need of the Holy Spirit's power today? Not only to help you with today, but to remind you of what's to come. What is it that you need today so that you can be reminded that while Jesus is resurrected already, you will one day be resurrected too? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us with your resurrection power? The spiritual reality is that we are resurrected already. We have eternal life. The gift of eternal life is in us now, but yet we don't experience it fully yet. But we want to experience it fully. Would you come in your fullness and give us as big of a taste as you see fit now? Meet with your people, Lord. That thing, whatever it is, whatever it is that makes us groan, would you meet with them now? In Jesus' name.